So uh, like I said, we're, we're talking about marriage today, and today what I want to talk about is one of the most important skills that you need to learn in order to have a good marriage. And this is one of the most important skills you could learn to have any, you know, a, a good any relationship at all. But the skill we're going to look at today is the skill of forgiveness. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. And I remember uh, right before I got married, I went to pre-marriage counseling with Anita, and we went to the, the therapist's office, and we sat down, and we're ready to discuss various issues around marriage. And the man looked at us, the therapist looked at us, and he said, I've got one question before we start out, and here's the question. Have you ever been in a fight? Now, if you're sitting before a marriage therapist, and you're thinking about, you know, getting married, how do you answer that question? Right? If you say, no, we've never had a fight, you know, we'd be lying, right? We couldn't say that. But if you say, yes, we fight, yeah, we fight all the time, then maybe he's going to say, well, sh maybe you shouldn't get married. Rethink this thing. But, uh, you know, I, we thought about it, you know, and I kind of tossed it back and forth, forth in my mind, and I finally said, yes, we have had a fight. We had, we've had plenty of fights by that time. And in fact, we just had a fight that morning. It was about marriage counseling. <laughs> I said, yes, we've been in a fight. And the way he responded, he, he said, it was great. He said, that's great. And he said, in fact, if you said that you've never had a fight, the first assignment would have been go home and have a fight. Because he said, until you've really fought, until you've wounded each other, until you've uh, hurt one another, until you've really had a conflict, you really don't know how to forgive. And he said, forgiveness is one of the most important skills to having a good marriage. Paul Tripp, who's a marriage, another marriage therapist, agrees with my counselor because this is what Paul Tripp said. He said, I can't think of a more essential ingredient in a good marriage than forgiveness. But forgiveness is not always attractive. Forgiveness is difficult and costly. It will push you to the borders of your faith. It will tempt you to fear and doubt. But when forgiveness is granted and debts are canceled, the return is much greater than the cost. And so Paul Tripp says the same thing as my marriage counselor said. He said, listen, forgiveness is, I think, more, is, is, more, is, more, is more of an essential ingredient to, in a marriage than anything else. We need to learn how to forgive. Now, why is that? It's because here's the truth. All of us bring sin and brokenness into our marriage. We live in a broken world. And marriage is when two sinners say, I do. And so when you, when you enter into a marriage, when you enter into any relationship, uh, you bring all of your goods. You bring your, uh, your dynamic personality. You bring all of your gifts. You bring all of your great sense of humor. You bring all of that good stuff, but you also bring all of your wounds and all of your brokenness. And with all of that, it, it is essential that you not only learn how to you know, treat each other, but you need to learn how to forgive each other when you've been wronged. Because all of us bring in that sin. Uh, one of my favorite movies is As Good As It Gets. Anybody seen that one? Uh, there's this uh, character Hel that Helen Hunt plays, and she's racked with ambivalence towards her boyfriend, who's played by Jack Nicholson. And on the one hand, Jack Nicholson, he's kind, and he's extremely generous to her sick son. But on the other hand, like, he's totally messed up. And so he's, you know, he's agoraphobic and he's excessive compulsive and he's terminally offensive. He's always saying the wrong thing and mean things. And so she calls up her mom and she says, Mom, I just want a normal boyfriend. And her mom responds, Oh, everybody wants one of those, dear. There's no such thing. And everybody's normal until you get to know them, right? And then you get married and you discover that I've, I've married a sinner and that we're wounding one another, we're hurting one another, there's conflict. 
There's brokenness. And so in a marriage, one of the most essential ingredients is learning the skill of forgiveness. Do you know how to forgive? Do you know how to forgive? Do you know how to repair a relationship once, it broke, once it's broken? Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, saying, you know, gosh, I, I struggle with forgiveness. You know, I try to forgive and I struggle. And, and I do, you know, I, 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 I do get hurt and I do get wounded and I have a hard time letting that go. And so what does it look like to forgive? What, what, how do I learn how to do this thing? Well, today in Proverbs 17, uh, the, the Proverbs is going to talk about forgiveness. Now, the Proverbs talks a lot about relationships and about getting into relationships. It also talks a lot about repairing relationship one, relationships once they're broken. And the verse we're going to look at today is, is a proverb about forgiveness. It is a picture of what does it look like to forgive? What does it look like not to forgive? And when the Proverbs tells you to forgive somebody, like when the Proverbs tells you to do anything, it doesn't just come out and say uh, you should forgive your partner, you should forgive your friend. The Proverbs always talks about uh, what it's going to talk about in pithy language, in imaginative, creative language. And so the verse that we're going to look at, it's a verse about forgiveness, but it talks about forgiveness in a way that's pithy and memorable and imaginative. And as we look at it, we're going to hopefully learn how, the, how, to, how, to, how, how we can forgive. Okay, and so this is, here it is. This is Proverbs 17, 9. It says, um, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Let me read it again. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. This is a proverb that talks about forgiveness in a way that's imaginative, in a way that's memorable. It talks about uh, forgiveness in a way that you can't forget. And I think it's incredibly insightful. This little proverb weighs a ton. There is so much here about what it looks like to forgive. And I want to look at it this morning by breaking it into three different parts. First of all, we're going to look at the second half of the verse. What does it mean to repeat an offense? This is unforgiveness. Okay, what does it mean to, to repeat an offense? And then second of all, we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to cover an offense? This is his language for forgiveness. And then finally, we're at, we'll ask, how do we cover an offense? So what does it mean to repeat an offense, uh, repeat a matter? What does it mean to cover an offense? And then finally, how do, we, how do we cover an offense? Do you got that? Okay, three things. First he says, whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Second half of the verse, uh, whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. This is how you separate, right? This is how a marriage or a friendship separates, okay? You repeat the matter. So what does that mean? What does it mean to repeat the matter? Well, it, it's, this is not talking to the offender. You know, we all have known those offenders that, that are repeat offenders, right? They do the same stupid thing over and over again to you, right? And they, why are they doing this? They really, do they care about me? They're, they keep on doing the same thing. This is, this is not talking to that person. That is another sermon. That's a bad thing. It's another sermon, though. This is a verse that's talking to the one who's been offended against, this verse is talking about to one who, the person who's on the receiving end of the offense. What do you do when somebody offends you? What do you do when somebody wounds you? What do you do when somebody hurts you? What do you do when you've been offended against, when you've been wronged? Well, what the proverb says is that one of our tendencies is to repeat the matter. One of the things we do when, when, when somebody has wronged us, when our spouse has done something wrong to us, one of our tendencies is to repeat that matter over and over and over again. And I, as I was studying this week, I, I was thinking about that joke, you know, when, when Pete and Repeat are in a boat, 
right? Pete and repeat are in a boat. Pete fell off. Who's left in the boat? Repeat. And then you say, Pete and repeat were in a boat. When Pete fell out, who's left in the boat? Repeat. And you go on and on in this cycle. That's the joke. But a lot of times, this is what we do when somebody offends us. We repeat the matter. There's a, there's a repeat cycle that goes on, and, and, that, and that offense stays in the relationship. It stays in the marriage, and it, and it goes over and over and over and over again. The proverb says, when you repeat a matter, you will separate close friends. And this is a picture of unforgiveness. This is a picture of what it looks like to hold a grudge. It's so vivid. This is a picture of resentment. How do you know that you're resentful? How do you know that you're holding a grudge? Well, you're going to be somebody who repeats the offense over and over again in that relationship. And here's how it works. You know, maybe somebody wrongs you, and you begin to repeat it in your own mind. Right? Have you ever done that? You lay in bed at night. Somebody's wronged you, and and somebody's done something bad. And and so instead of forgetting about it or, or forgiving it, you repeat that wrong over and over again. You replay that tape over and over again in your mind. Right, continually replaying the tapes of the wrong in your imagination in order to keep the sense of loss and hurt fresh so that you can stay angry. Right, have you ever done that? You know, somebody's wronged you and it's like you just keep, it just keeps on coming back. Why did they do that? And you begin to fantasize about them, you know, their comeuppance, right? And so what if this happened and instead of wronging me, I actually got them. And so you're, you're laying in bed at night and you're going, this thing is going through your brain and you're thinking about, about that wrong over and over and over again. This is a sign that you're resentful. This is a sign that you haven't forgiven the offense. It stays in there on the repeat cycle. We not only repeat it to ourselves, but we also can repeat it to others. Somebody's offended us, and what do we do? We call, we call up mom or dad on the phone. And we said, you, you wouldn't believe what this person's done to me. And you, and you re- repeat that offense, and you call up your best friend, and you tell the, the, the same thing. You know, you wouldn't believe what my wife has done. She did this. And, and if you find yourself repeating that offense in all of your conversations, that's a sign that you haven't forgiven. You're resentful. You're holding a grudge. Every conversation, you are, you're, you're, you're dragging that thing out in order to diminish that person in the eyes of the person that you're talking to. You're repeating the matter. They are the topic of all of your conversations. That offense keeps on coming up over and over again as you talk. And under the guise of seeking sympathy and support and sharing your heart, you're actually just repeating that thing over and over, and you're not letting it go. So you can repeat it in your mind. You could also repeat it to other people in conversations, or you could just repeat that thing right back to the person. Have you ever done that? You know, you're in an argument, and, and maybe this person offend you a year, offended you a year ago. And it, it seems like it's gone. It seems like it's over. But then you're, you're in this clash, and you're in this argument. And what do you do? You bring that thing out of your back pocket. And you say, remember what you did a year ago? And you think, I thought that was gone. I thought that was over. And, and they're still holding on to this thing. And so maybe you're repeating it back to the person over and over again and reminding them of what they've done. Or maybe you're dragging it out by making cutting remarks and and dragging out past injuries repeatedly, reminding them of what they did, right? You know, you're, you're just repeating it back to them over and over again. And so this is what resentment looks like. This is what it means not to forgive. You're repeating the matter. Have you ever found yourself doing this with your spouse? Maybe even with a good friend. It just, it's just that, that offense is still there on repeat, Re- repeat and repeat and repeat. That's going over and over again in this cycle. Now, why do we do that? It's because what we're trying to do by repeating it is we're trying to repay that person. 
We're trying to repay them. When somebody has wronged you, there is a very clear sense that they owe you, that they owe you a debt. And what's interesting is when you look at the Bible, whenever the Bible talks about sin, it always talks about it in terms of debt. And so do you remember in uh, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our what? Our debts, as we forget th- forgive those who have, are indebted to us. And so the way the Bible talks about sin is it talks about it in terms of debt. Tim Keller puts it this way, or Miroslav Volf puts it this way. When someone seriously wrongs you, there is an absolutely unavoidable sense that that person, that wrongdoer, owes you. The wrong has incurred an obligation, a liability, a debt. And when you repeat the matter, when you're keeping it there on repeat, what, what are you trying to do? You are trying to exact payment. You are trying to make them pay. Maybe you feel like they, they owe you happiness. You got married to them, you expected happiness, and you're not getting it, and so they owe you happiness. Or maybe you feel like they owe you peace of mind. We're always fighting, and they're stealing my peace of mind. It's not fair. Or maybe they owe you, you know, a good relationship with your children. They owe you. And so by repeating it, you are trying to make them pay. You're exacting payment because they've incurred a debt. So it goes over and over again, this repayment cycle. And the problem with this, says the Proverbs, at the very end of the, of the verse, is he says, when you repeat that matter, when you try to make them pay, when the cycle goes on and on, what happens? You separate. The friendship separate. As long as you are repeating that matter, you are, are moving in the direction of, a, of separation, of broken relationship. Because when you repeat the matter, you, you, what, what, what happens? You begin to see this person in terms of the wrong that they've done. You begin to see everything that they do in terms of that wrong. Right, you kind of characterize them. And so, have you ever seen a cartoon, a cartoonist, you know, they will, they will caricaturize a, you know, a, a politician or a public figure? And if the, you, you can always tell when the cartoonist doesn't like the public figure because they will take their worst feature and they will make it enormous, right? And so if they've got a slightly big nose, you know, in that little cartoon, the, the nose is enormous. Or if they have big ears, you know, slightly big ears, the ears are enormous. And what do they do? They turn that person into their most unattractive feature. And when you repeat the matter, you begin to see that person only in light of the offense. And you turn them into that most unattractive feature. And so if somebody lies to you, they're a liar. That's what they are. Now when you lie, you're complex, right? It's different. There are two sides to that thing. But they're a liar. And you begin to see them only in light of their offense. Or they're a cheater. Or they're an angry person. You caricaturize them. You, you make them into their most unattractive feature. This is what happens. And so it, how do you move forward in a relationship when you're, when you're characterizing somebody like that? Here's another thing that happens. When you begin to repeat the matter and, and you, these debts are, are, are not going away, they begin to add up because you keep on sinning against each other. The debt, you get this mountain of debt that begins to separate the, 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 the married couple or the, the friendship. And there's this really interesting little story. Paul Tripp tells this story. He says, uh, he says, I remember there was one time I was counseling a married couple. And he said there was like this mountain of debt between them. They, they, he says they were estranged. They weren't talking. They were drifting apart. And it's because there was this debt that was just racking up. And here's what he says. He says he's sitting down at marriage counseling. You know, they're in the room. And he says the tension in the room was unbelievable. It was impossible for Chad and Mary to speak to and about one another without anger. 
Sitting across the couch from Chad, Mary never did stop crying. She was hurt, but she carried in the file cabinet of her mind a detailed record of wrongs that only deepened her pain. Neither wanted to be married anymore. They both dreaded getting up in the morning and facing one another. They both pointed their fingers and maintained their self-serving list of offenses. There was a time when they adored one another, but that time was like ancient history. There was no peace now, let alone affection. So what's going on? Instead of letting the the offense go, they're repeating it. There's a cycle. It's building up, and there's this mound of debt between them, and they're drifting apart, and now they're not speaking, and now there's just icy, cold resentment. Proverbs says, when you repeat a matter, it will separate good friends. Have you ever owed somebody money and you, and you see them coming down? If you, I mean, literally, you owe them money. You see them coming, you go the other way. You don't want to see them. And, and if, you're, if there's this offense debt that's been building up in your married, m- marriage, it's going to separate you. It's going to make the relationship cold. It might even end in divorce. So this is what it looks like to repeat a matter. Has anybody else been there like me? <laughs> Repeating that matter, and there's resentment. Well, here's the question. How do you forgive then? Okay, how do you get rid of that, that sin debt? How do you get rid of all those offenses? How do you stop that vicious cycle of offenses? How do you stop repeating that thing over and over again in your mind or in your conversations? How do you let it go? Well, the Proverbs language for this, here's the second point, is he says, here's what you need to do instead. Instead of repeating it, he says, I want you to cover the offense. In verse nine, he says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. And so what does it mean then to cover an offense? This is how we forgive, this is his language. And so what does it mean to cover up an offense? Well, this is really hard because, you see, every word has a semantic range. Every phrase has a semantic range. And so in, in our language, when we hear the word cover up, what do we think of? We think of covering over. We think of burying that thing. We think of pretending like, you know, we're just going to pretend like it didn't happen. We're going to brush that, that offense under the rug. And this is not at all what the proverb is talking about. It's not saying that when somebody offends us, you just sort of pretend like it didn't happen. In fact, what's interesting is down at the bottom of the page here, the proverb says that uh, better is open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so the most of unloving thing you can do to your spouse or your friend is to brush that thing under the rug. Open rebuke, you need to tell the truth, you know, you, uh, you, you need to tell them what they did wrong. And this is what the proverb says, open rebuke is better than hidden love. This is not brushing the, the thing under the rug. So, so what does it mean to cover up an offense? Well, it's more like this. Imagine you're at a restaurant and everybody's finished eating and they've, you know, incurred this great debt and, and you stand up at the restaurant and you pull out your wallet and you say, don't worry, I'm covering it. That is exactly what he's getting at when he says cover an offense. It means that you cover the debt yourself. It doesn't mean that you brush it under the rug. It means that you release reliability for that offense. And this is what it means to forgive. Let me give you kind of the steps that are involved here. First, it begins by acknowledging the offense. When somebody's wronged you, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge the offense. You did something wrong to me. You don't brush it under the rug. You you name it. 
Maybe you write it down on a piece of paper or maybe you uh, speak it directly to the person, but you name that offense. Lewis Smedes puts it this way, when we, forget, when, we, when we forgive evil, we do not excuse it, we do not tolerate it, we do not smother it, but we look evil full in the face, we call it what it is, let its horror shock and stun and enrage us, only then do we forgive it. And so it begins by acknowledging the offense, you have wronged me. But not only do you acknowledge the, the offense, then it goes on, to releasing reliability for the offense. I've got it covered. You look at that person and you say, you owe me a real debt, but, I, but you don't owe me anymore. Corey Tim Boom talks about forgiveness and she says, the way God forgives you is he throws your sin into the deepest sea and he puts up a no fishing sign. And this is what it means to cancel the debt. It means I'm gonna, you don't owe me anymore. Your sin is gone, forgiven, forgotten. I'm not gonna bring it out of my back pocket anymore. You don't owe me anymore. This is forgiveness. But someone says, well, wait a minute, they do owe me. They owe me a lot. <laughs> they, they owe me love and they owe me, they, they did incur a debt. They don't deserve that. Well, yes, this is why forgiveness is always a gift of grace. Nobody earns forgiveness. Nobody works their way into forgiveness. Forgiveness is always a freely offered gift of grace. That's undeserved. You don't owe me anymore. So you acknowledge the debt. You also, you release reliability for the debt. But in order to do this, here's the most important thing, is you need to absorb that debt in yourself. Just like when you say, I'm going to pay for this meal. You're, you're not, the meal's not gone. You're going to pay for that meal yourself. Forgiveness is always absorbing the debt. And this is why forgiveness is always a form of voluntary suffering. It is extremely painful to forgive. There is a real debt. There is a real wrong. And when you, you decide to forgive, you say, look, you don't owe me anymore. I'm going to absorb that debt myself. And the best way I could explain this is, is imagine, uh, you know, you're going down Main Street in a car and someone barrels down the side road and smashes into your car, right? So if, if I'm going down the road, somebody smashes into my car. Now there's a choice that I need to make. I either, I either get out of that car and exact payment. You owe me. You pay for the damages. You know, this is my, you know, 1995 maroon and rust-colored Toyota Camry. You owe me, you pay the damages. I could either do that or I could make the decision to forgive and say, you know what? I'll take care of it. But the dent is still th there, isn't it? And I either pay for it by literally paying for it to be fixed myself or I just drive around with a dent in my car. What a tragedy that would be. <laughs> my 1995 rust-colored Camry. Somebody pays. When you've forgiven a an offense. You absorb that debt yourself. It is a form, forgiveness is always a form of voluntary suffering. It's always painful. It is always emotionally expensive to forgive. And finally, it's always a decision. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It is, it, whenever you decide to do this, for, give this gift to somebody where you let them free and you pay for that debt yourself, this is always a decision that you make. It's not an emotion. 
You know, you could not feel forgiving at all, but, but you can still forgive because forgiveness is a decision that we make. And some of you need to decide to make that decision today. Some of you have been holding on to that debt and say, I don't feel like I want to forgive that person. But forgiveness is always a freely chosen decision. You, make, you decide to do that. And if you've ever been seriously wronged by somebody, you know that this is a decision that you have to make over and over and over again. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that when Jesus talked about forgiving 70 times 7, he wasn't talking about forgiving somebody for that many offenses. It's like one offense that you have to forgive again and again and again. And so here's what it looks like. You're laying in bed at night, and you start to repeat that thing in your brain. You say, nope, I'm deciding to let it go. Or you're on the phone with that person and you're, you're thinking about bringing that offense up again and bringing it out again and bringing it out and you say, nope, I'm deciding, I'm letting it go. Or maybe you're in that argument and you're about to bring that thing out again and you say, nope, I'm deciding to let it go. I've made that decision, it's voluntary suffering, I'm absorbing that debt, I'm letting them go. You don't owe me anymore. Now, if you decide to do this, Like I said, it's going to be very painful, but it is the only way to heal that relationship. There is no future without forgiveness. In a marriage, you will be wronged. And unless you decide, I am going to do this painful, costly thing, there is no future. Final final thing about this passage, which is how do we do this? How do we forgive? It is incredibly difficult. And when you look at this passage, what's so interesting is the Proverbs never tells you how to do it. And this is kind of just true about the Proverbs. These are pithy little statements. They they say, go and do this. Don't repeat that offense, just cover it. And you're like, well, how do I do that? The Proverbs doesn't tell you. But Proverbs is, is part of the whole Bible. And what the Bible says is that the way you learn how to do this is by looking at the way God did this. Did you know this is exactly what God did for you? God covered your offense. You wronged God. You walked away from God. You offended God. And what did God do? He sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross for you. Now someone might ask, well, why did God have to, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to suffer in order for God to forgive us? It's because forgiveness always involves voluntary suffering. It always involves absorbing the debt. And on the cross, Jesus Christ was absorbing your debt. He was paying the price for the thing that you did in order, so that he might move on and forgive you. And in order to forgive people in your life, you need to understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. By looking at the cross, we learn how to cover an offense. Because when you look at the cross, the first thing it does for you is it humbles you. And Forgiveness involves humility. When you look at the cross, you realize, I'm a sinner. I, you know, they wronged me, but you know, I could have done the same thing. I'm no better. I'm broken just like they are. Jesus Christ had to forgive me. So the cross humbles you and enables you to forgive. And you need that humility if you're gonna offer that, that debt forgiveness. But the cross also offers us confidence to forgive. Do you realize that you need to have confidence to forgive people? 
You need to know that God loves you. You need to know that you have infinite worth in order to forgive somebody else. So in other words, if you know God's love and forgiveness, then there is a limit to how deeply another person can hurt you. Right? If you know that God loves you and he died for you and that your offenses are forgiven, it gives you that assurance and that confidence and that security to offer forgiveness to somebody else. And if you're super needy and you're super wounded, it's always hard to forgive somebody out of that, out of that place. And so the cross gives you confidence to do this. And finally, the cross gives you power to forgive. The thing about forgiveness is it always involves supernatural power. Nobody can forgive somebody on their own. To err is human, and what? To forgive is divine. Forgiveness always comes through the power of the risen Lord. And the only way you will move forward and forgive somebody is if God gives you the power to do that. I want to end by reading you a little story. This is by, a, this is Cory Ten Boom. Cory Ten Boom was in a Nazi tr- concentration camp, and uh, this story happened after the war. Cory Ten Boom is in Germany, and she's speaking somewhere, and right, coming down her way is, is one of the guards that tortured her and killed her sister. The man walks right after her talk, the man walked right up to her and he stuck out his hand and he said, please forgive me. And here's what Corey Tim Boom says. She says, I stood there with coldness clutching my chest, but I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I prayed Jesus help me. Very mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And I experienced an incredible thing The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood into my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. And then she says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner is you. She said, in that moment, God gave me the power to forgive. And I realized that that if I didn't, he wouldn't be in prison, I would be. When you fail to forgive in a marriage, you inject the acid of resentment into that relationship and you put yourself into a prison of your own making. There is no future without forgiveness. There is no future without the canceling of debts. Stop the vicious cycle. Cover the offense. Jesus Christ is going to give you the ability to do it. So could we all stand this morning? I want to pray for us. And I know that in, the, in a room this size, there are probably those of you who are harboring bitterness, maybe harboring resentment right now in your marriage. You've got that cycle going on, and you're repeating it to other people. You're repeating it to your spouse. You're repeating it to yourself. And I just want to pray for all of us that God would give us the power through the gospel to offer that forgiveness to others. So let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you paid the penalty for our sins. And God, we, we pray, God, this morning as we, as we are in navigating 
the relationship of marriage and navigating all sorts of different relationships. And God, we know that um, we live in a broken world. All of us wound each other. We pray that you would give us the power, the security, the humility to offer that forgiveness. God, we pray you give us the courage to uh, acknowledge the wrong, maybe even confront our partner with the wrong that they've done to us. And then we pray that you would give us the grace to even pre-decide that we are going to offer that. Lord, that you would give us the, the humility and power to absorb the debt, to look at our wrongdoer and say, you don't owe me anymore. Make us a forgiving people. God, I pray that you would heal our relationships, and we pray this in Jesus' name.